Well, once again, we're glad you're here this morning. I wanted to just give a quick announcement, kind of recap. Last week, for those of you who are here, we had our kind of first Idlewild after party, and we had over, I think it was like 12 chilies, and just got the chance to hang out with everybody, share a meal together, and we also uh, launched our Idlewild community groups, and so I know not everybody was able to make it last week, and if you are still interested in perhaps maybe joining a group, come find me afterwards. I can kind of introduce you to some of our group leaders or talk to you about kind of what you're looking for. Um, we, we do have seven groups that have launched, which is just great, by the way. I just think it's a, a wonderful place to start for us as a new campus, and uh, we love getting people connected in smaller groups, and so if that, once again, if that is you, if you're interested in joining one of the community groups, uh, come find myself or Melissa. We'd be glad to follow up with you and let you know about the groups that we have. We are continuing this morning, as you've already experienced, uh, this series called The Miraculous Seven. These seven kind of major signs, these major miracles that happen in the Gospel of John that John records. And uh, as John even so well puts at the end of his book that Jesus did a lot more things than just this, but he he really zeroes in on these seven incredible things that happen um, in the life of Jesus that help show him to be the true Messiah. And what I love, though, especially about the Gospel of John, I, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't know if we're allowed to say that you have a favorite book, but I have a favorite Gospel, and John is one that I just love to read, so this has been an exciting series for me to go through. Um, but, but one of the things I, I hope that you, you capture as we go through this book that, that I love so much about the Gospel of John is that John, above all the other Gospel writers, focuses on the humanity side of Jesus so well. You see this human side that, that as, we, as we talk about that Jesus is fully God and fully man, John just does a, does a really, really great job of, of unpacking how approachable, how relatable, um, how personable Jesus is. And it's, it's very clear, even in John's gospel, that that's who he wants us to see. He wants to see that because at the very end of the book, this is our kind of bottom line for the entire series, John 20, verse 30 says, through 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There is no greater purpose statement in a book ever found. John is very, very clear on why he does this. John knew Jesus personally. He walked alongside with him. He, he saw these things happen, and he says, I want you to know him the way I knew him. He loves the word believe. John uses this word more than anybody. He, in fact, the word believe is used 98 times in John's gospel. John knows what it means to know Jesus. He knows what believing in him does to our life, and he knows what it means to have new life in Jesus. That's why he writes this gospel, that we too might know what it means to believe Jesus, to encounter Jesus in this personal way. And with that, let me open with a word of prayer, and we'll begin our time. God, I just think about even this story and how we'll continue to unpack it about what it means to experience you in times of desperation. God, I know that in this room right now that all of us can relate to some level on what that is. 
And what I love, Jesus, is that you're the same today, that this is not a Jesus of the past. This is the Jesus we are here this morning worshiping. And I pray that this, this message this morning would come solely from you, that using your own words, God, that you might draw us closer to you, that we may experience you in a deeper, richer way today. God, I ask this in your son's great and holy name. Amen. Well, I was 18 years old, and for about the year previous, about every six weeks, I would get these intense, horrible stomach pains. And I couldn't, we could not figure out what it was. But every six weeks, I would just find myself in gut-wrenching pain. And every time, it seemed to get worse and worse and worse. And we'd go to the doctor, and we couldn't figure out what it was. Um, you know, they, I, I would have something else, but they say, that, sh- that doesn't explain why your stomach's hurting so bad. Well, this particular time, it had finally reached the point where, I, I, I mean, I, I've never experienced so much pain in my entire life. Uh, I, would, I would spend the entire day... Uh, throwing up, just gut-wrenching, no amount of medicine would help, so we finally decide, all right, well, we've already done this before, but let's go to the emergency room, and so we go to the emergency room, Um, we've told them all, we're trying to figure out what's going on, and this doctor, she decides, she says, well, um, let's take an x-ray. Why they didn't do this in the first place, I don't know, but... um, they decided to take an x-ray, and so I go, and I go in this, and I'm, once again, I can barely stand up to take the x-ray. I'm in so much pain. And sure enough, the x-ray comes back, and right here is a massive white spot. And they say, we got to get you right into surgery. And, they, and I said, okay, what is that? And they said, your appendix is about to blow. And so we go down to the hospital. I'm, at, I'm kind of at urgent care at this point, but they send me down to the hospital, and I don't know if you've ever been in something like this before, but everything everybody says to you is annoying, okay? Every single thing. And so I'm sitting here in this emergency room, and the doctors are telling me, like, here's what's all going to happen. And I remember the only thing that thinks in mind, I don't care, just whatever it takes, please take this pain away from me. I don't care what you do. Take an arm if you have to. I don't care. If, if it means I can take pain away in my life, do it. Desperation is a powerful force. Desperation is one of the most powerful forces there is, and I think all of us in this room can relate because perhaps you've gone through something, maybe you're currently in something where you find yourself that feeling of desperate, that, that feeling of I would do whatever it takes to change the circumstances. Perhaps it's a difficult failing relationship, perhaps it's a difficult circumstance, perhaps it's health, perhaps it's watching somebody else go through something and and just the pain that it's causing yourself, you just find yourself saying, I'll do whatever it takes. What would it take to fix this? You see, where hope is one of the strongest positive forces in life, desperation is what happens when hope is pretty much all, all but gone. Desperation is a scary, it's a miserable place to be, but as we'll see today with Jesus, desperation is also an opportunity for faith to bring us closer into that caring presence of Jesus, and we're going to see how Jesus can meet us in those times of need and provide far and beyond what we could ever even imagine. 
So that's where we pick up our story. Um, if you would, we're going to be in John chapter 4 today, and I'm going to look at verse 46, as we've kind of already read, but I just want to highlight these first couple verses here. If you can pick up with me, it says this. So he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. There's, there's probably nothing more helpless feeling as watching a loved one go through pain, and, and in this case, be on the verge of death, especially a child. But that's where we find ourselves in this story today. A desperate father who finds himself at the very end of his rope as he watches his son slowly die. We don't know a lot about this guy, but we know enough. We know that he is a royal official for the government, which means a few things, especially in this time. If that was you, if you were so lucky to be someone in this position, we know that you are a man of of great wealth. You have a lot of power. You have a lot of connections. This man's life has been most likely marked by extreme privilege. He has access to just about anything he wants. He could go and ask King Herod himself if he would like. He can ask a favor of anybody. He can buy anything. He can recruit anybody. But as we see here, none of that matters. Because it's reasonable to assume that a a man like this, watching his child go through this, has exhausted all of those options has spread out into the entire land, finding any doctor, any physician he can. But he's quickly realizing that nothing is working. He's exhausted every option, but no amount of wealth or power will save his son. Something or someone far greater will have to do that. We're not sure how he knew about Jesus. Perhaps it was the wedding. Uh, Those of you here last week, we looked at the first of the miraculous seven, where Jesus is, is at this wedding and he turns uh, water into wine, and not only does he take just a little, he makes an abundance of it. Perhaps this man knew about that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. It's reasonable to assume this is a very word of mouth culture. They didn't really need social media. Word spreads. Maybe they had heard about what Jesus had done in Jerusalem. We don't know how he found out about Jesus or what all he knew, but we realize here that he learns Jesus is back in the area, and we see this desperate father who is out of options. He doesn't know what else to do. He just knows there's this guy, Jesus, and he's done some pretty amazing things. Perhaps, maybe, just maybe, he could heal his son. And as any good parent would do, he leaves his family He leaves his dying son laying on the bed, and he makes the trek towards Jesus. The distance between Capernaum and Cana is 24 miles. Now, in our time, we'd think that's, you know, from North Charlotte to South Charlotte, hop on 485, that's no big deal, right? Big whoop. 24 miles during this time, it's actually a fairly, it's pretty a difficult journey. And it's also not a straight perfect path. It's actually very hilly, mountainous to make this. This is, at best, this is a solid day's walk. 
and perhaps the grueling to say at least, not just because of the terrain, but just stop for a moment and just think about where this guy is. Knowing he's just left his son and he may never see him again. And he's going to walk 24 miles, but it wouldn't have mattered if it was 2,400 miles, would it? Because I know all of us in this room, if, that, if we had any glean of hope, we would walk any distance to help somebody. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and they'll do whatever it takes, no matter how difficult or how confusing it may be. Some of you I know in this room connect with this story personally. But my guess is that all of us can remember a time, or maybe you're currently in one, where where you feel like you're in that state of desperation, where you're saying, I'll do whatever it takes, Jesus, to change this. My hope today is that, once again, you'll, you'll see that this is still the same Jesus, that Jesus meets us there. He provides us in a way that only he can. And just as we saw at the, at the wedding in Cana, that his love and grace is so bountiful and rich that it goes far beyond what we can ever think or imagine because that's what happens to this man. Look again uh, at verse 48 with me, if you will. So here we go. We find this guy. He's made the trek. He's left his family. He's, he's uh, made this 24-mile trek. And verse 48 we see his interaction with Jesus says this. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. This is one of the more interesting responses from Jesus to me. To be honest with you, I'm still kind of wrestling why it is he says it. It may, it's not his typical tone or style, but, and I think it's very easy to look at this and maybe think there's a lack of compassion on Jesus at this point or, or an unwillingness. But I don't think that's actually what's happening because here, here's the thing. Everything Jesus ever says is calculated. Jesus never messes up in, in the things that he says. But, but he does make this statement. He says, unless you see signs and wonders. Now, something to note. In the original language, the you was plural. So it's not just that this guy is saying, you specifically, guy. He's speaking to a broader audience here. And once again, you may say, what does that have to do with the guy directly? But this was one of the things that we see in the Gospels a lot where, uh, particularly in the Jewish people and the, and the, the religious leaders for that matter, often wanted to see Jesus perform more things. They, they, were, they told themselves that, if well, Jesus, if you really are, we need to see more from you. And this is one of the things he says over and over again in the gospel. He goes, I do, and it's not that. You just won't believe. But he does answer to this, and he tells this to this guy, but I, I think it's because there, there is something else happening here that Jesus is going to do really kind of two amazing things in this story. But I love what the Father says here, because if I'm honest, I think I I understand this. I connect with this, right? So here he is. Jesus, my son is dying. Will you please come and help? Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders. And I love it because he says, sir, please just come down. It's almost like, dude, I don't have time for this. I don't want to argue. I'm just desperate. I've lost all hope, and you are the only person that I can turn to. 
I want you to catch something here because this is, this is the fascinating part to me. This, this is God himself in the flesh. This is the very creator of the universe, and yet this is the interaction we see. That this man stands before Jesus and says this. Jesus looks at this guy. He knows this guy. He created this guy. From his, from his mother's womb, he created this man. He created this man's child. And yet, here we have the God of the universe standing ready and available to speak to him. Don't miss that. This is, this is the part of the humanity side that I think John does so well. You think about it. Pick any official in government. You can't just go up and walk and talk to him. That's just not going to happen. And yet here we have the creator of the universe, and this man walks straight up to him, and he pleads with him, he begs with him. And when Jesus responds, the man says, no, that's not good enough, I just need you to come. Not only is this man desperate, but he's bold. And I just don't want us to miss that today, that that this is the same Jesus that we have today. Jesus makes himself available. We can take anything in our life to him and say, Jesus, here I am. I need your help. I doubt there was ever a time in this man's life that he ever felt so desperate. And yet, because of who Jesus is and because of the things he does and says, we see this man be bolder than perhaps he's ever been in his life. That's the magnificent part of this. Jesus is going to do two incredible things here to me. Verse 50, look at again. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Easily the five greatest words this man has ever heard in his life. Go, your son will live. I'm sure he put it on a plaque and it's hang, it hung in his house. Go, your son will live. After pleading twice, after telling Jesus he's his final hope, he utters the phrase to this man that forever changes his life, his son's life, his family. Go, your son is healed. The man believed. There's that word again. The man believed Jesus said his word. And like a doctor saying, the cancer is gone, or somebody telling you everything is going to be okay. Even the words of Jesus have the power of change. Let me say that again. Even the very words of Jesus have the power to change. That's one of the reasons why this story matters today. Because even if Jesus is not physically present, his words are always true. That the words that he can speak even now today in our lives have just as much power as they did in this story. That Jesus can just simply speak something and it happens. The man believed. And this is, I, I think, secondary to the story, but it, it is nonetheless amazing and redemptive. You see, I, Jesus, he, he looks at the situation. He meets the man in his most dire of needs. He, he, he performs this, this true miracle in his life, and yet he also takes the opportunity to do something to work on this man's heart and his progression of faith. Because we don't know where uh, the man starts. As he learns about Jesus in the beginning, all that, he know, all that he knows is that 
that he's capable of doing something. And so that brings him up to the first encounter with Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I'm out, of, I'm out of options here. Can you do anything, please? And he says, he, he responds, and then the guy says, no, please just come back with me. So he believes that Jesus has to be present. But then Jesus speaks those five great words, and all of a sudden we find the man says, he believed the word. So now we, we see this progression of faith that now this man is not just believing in rumor or possible rumors or ideas about Jesus. He's believing in the person. He's believing in the very words that this man, that Jesus is speaking to him. It's safe to, to say that he leaves this interaction with a completely new perspective. He meets the Savior of the world. He talks with him, and Jesus utters the five words that utterly changes his life. So let's pick the story back up here. As, as Jesus has, has done this, the, the child is restored. Verse, pick it up in, uh, excuse me, verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. How much different of a journey was this on his way back? Think about this for a sec, okay? First day, the man decides, he takes one of the biggest risks of his life. I'm going to leave my dying child. I may come back and he may not be alive. But I've got no other options. I'm going to make a 24-mile trek. Can, can you just imagine how grueling that hike was? He encounters Jesus. Jesus restores his life. I'm just, I just think, what was that hike back? I bet it's the fastest he's ever hiked 24 miles. For two reasons. I think one is more likely. Even if he didn't believe in Jesus that he'd actually done, he wants to get back as fast as he can, right? But that's not what it says. Scripture says that he did believe Jesus. Nonetheless, I'm still hightailing as fast as I can out of there, right? Okay, you told me my son's alive. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm gone. But I, I love this interaction with the servants. So the story tells us that on the way back, we don't know exactly at what point, maybe they meet halfway, but nonetheless, this man runs into his servants and they tell him this wonderful news, right? And it's interesting that his first comment, or at least what's recorded, is he asks them a question. Sir, you're never going to believe this. Your son is healed. When was he healed? Now, I, I don't know the, the state of the heart of this man, but it's interesting that the first thing he does is ask a question. And I think it's because in his heart, he, he did believe in Jesus. He, he did believe that this has actually occurred. But I think he asked this for one simple reason. Because in asking this question, when they say he was healed at the seventh hour, and, Jesus, and this guy realizes that's exactly when Jesus said he's healed, I think it eliminates any final doubt that he has in the person of Jesus. Because he, here's what I think would have happened. If they would have said, your son was healed, but he was healed at the fourth hour. 
this guy would have been thinking, well, did maybe the medicine kick in? Did something else come in? But when he realizes that it, that it happens the very moment Jesus' words are spoken, I see, I, I see the grin on this guy's face go even bigger. Like, he, like he's, he's hiking back like this, and then when he hears it, he goes, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I would do. Because that, that light bulb goes off. That, wow, this guy really is amazing. That his very words have the power to heal. And just to top it all off, if, if, that'll, if, if the, the healing of the son is not enough, which it is, the story ends with this man going back to his household and we see one of the very first evangelists in the Bible, that this man leads his entire household to who Jesus is. You know, th- this story really, it, it has captured me this week um, as I've read it many, many times and, and I've just been encouraged by it. Uh, so much in here that I hope each of you can glean something from. That, that here we have a person in dire situation who is desperate for any glean of hope met with the captivating healing ability of Jesus. He heals a child, he changes a father, and he brings an entire household into relationship with himself. So as we close this morning, I, I just want to leave you with a few thoughts. Always remember that God will meet us in desperation. Don't lose the part of this story that Jesus is available for this guy. That Jesus is, doesn't seclude himself in an area where we have to go make an appointment with him. We don't have to ask his secretary if we can come have an office visit. He's available. And there's nothing we cannot bring to him. There's no, our status has no bearing on how we can approach him. Second, in our desperation, remember that desperation creates a space for our faith to grow and that God can orchestrate every bit of it. We can be confident knowing that God meets us in desperation and he can use it to do something else. He can, he can continue to heal us, he can restore us, and he can bring us closer to himself. The only thing greater to me in this story than his son being healed is that the story seems to indicate that they will spend together, or they will be with each other forever because of their relationship with Jesus. That's the only thing greater. Because here's the thing. Both this son and this father, they would go on to, they would go on to die. We're, we're not, they're not alive today telling this story. And yet, I know they're still in heaven rejoicing over this story together. Hey, do you remember what Jesus did for our lives? Do you remember how he changed me, how he healed me? Yeah. Isn't it amazing that we get to spend eternity with him? That's, that's the Jesus we have today. I don't know what all God will do in each of our lives. I don't know how God is going to respond to each of the challenges that you may be facing this morning. But can I just say two things to that? One, he is capable of anything. There is nothing impossible with God. If you're here this morning and you, and you find yourself in a situation like this, 
know that he can. He can heal it. That he can change it. He is capable of anything. Second, we can approach him with boldness. That there is nothing we cannot bring to him because that is who he has made himself to be. God made himself to be the approachable, the relatable God. So, will we be bold? What are we willing to ask Jesus to change in our lives? Will we be able to trust him at his word alone? We see that we can. Are we willing to be like this father and put all of our chips on Jesus alone? Final thing as I, as I close this morning. I can't help but look at this story and see how magnificently it portrays the gospel. This beautiful foreshadow of the gospel right here. We see a father who longs to see his child be healed. And he does anything he can to save him. Guys, that is the gospel. You know who else is desperate for us? Jesus. Jesus is desperate to be, to long to connect with us, to be with us. As, as our Father, he looks at us and he, and he sees our sin-ridden lives. He sees what needs to be healed. And what does he do? He goes the ultimate measure by dying on a cross. See, this, this story is, is beautiful in so many ways. But I hope you see the gospel in it. That the cross is that great reminder for us that Jesus, there is no link to which he will, he will not go to bring us back to himself. And I hope that leaves you with some encouragement this morning. Let me pray as we invite our band back up. Jesus, I, re- I truly am thankful for um, this just incredible, this incredible sign that you've given us. Thank you for what you did to this family and thanks that you were still that God today. I know, Father, there are people in this room who are desperate for something. Whatever circumstances in life, God, may we just, even at this very moment, may we ask it in your name. May we give it to you. Father, it's one thing to... uh, have you present with us to see how you would walk into people's homes and you you would touch them and they'd be healed, but you're not just limited to that. God, your very words, you, you, you spoke the words, you spoke our world into existence and you said, go, your son will live. Your very words have the power to change our lives. Father, help us to trust in that and help us to trust that you will respond in in the very best way. And Father, thinks that um, above all, the greatest healing that you ever do is forgiving our sin. The greatest thing that we have is forgiveness and the opportunity to connect with you. So Father, once again, I pray for all of us in this room this morning, no matter where we're at in life, May we desperately come to you, trusting that you'll meet us there. It's in your son's wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen.